It's 1210. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Just had an opportunity to hear the press conference involving uh, new police chief uh, Alfonso Morales and Milwaukee Mayor Tom Barrett and the district attorney John Chisholm. I think everybody is familiar with this story right now, a horrible story. Yesterday afternoon, around 5 o'clock on uh, West Silver Spring Avenue, um, what happens is the police squad car with two Milwaukee police officers sees a vehicle driving at a high rate of speed in a reckless fashion, as is often the case in the mean streets of Milwaukee. The police do what they're supposed to do. They try to pull it over. The vehicle accelerates, takes off, driving in a reckless fashion. The officers uh, engage in what is, a, unfortunately, a very short pursuit. Uh, they lose control of the car. It goes up an embankment, and um, an officer has lost his life. It is a terrible, terrible situation. Um, interestingly enough, at the recently completed press conference, the first question, this is why people understandably hate the media, First question posed to the chief is something to do with the police pursuit policy. Here, here's here's the question in the chief's response. Can you tell us if a sergeant or someone had called off this chase prior to the accident? Can you tell me who, what the officer's name is who was shot at by a drug dealer three weeks ago? We pay no mind at the danger of our police officers. We have an officer that died yesterday. We're grieving. And you are trying to create controversy. We have an officer that died. Committed to the community. All he wanted to do was be a police officer. And we loved him. Can you give us some days to grieve? Please. You know, the chief is absolutely correct. Um, yesterday evening, I got a handful of, of emails from people who, and let's be clear, over the last several years, I have been somebody who has argued that the former chase policy that the Milwaukee Police Department had made no sense. Um, and I think that the fact that they, in most cases, did not chase people who fled led to the criminals becoming emboldened. And it led to this game that was being played on a regular basis on the streets of Milwaukee, where you had people that felt that they could, you know, sell drugs and the moving drug cars. They could drive in a reckless fashion. They could commit crimes and they could run away from the police, oftentimes in stolen cars, knowing that they would never be caught. So I was a critic of that policy. I applaud the changes they have made in this. So last night after the story broke, I got a handful of emails from people saying, well, Jeff, is this going to make you reconsider your, your policy about do you, do you, maybe is this evidence that we, we should no longer chase people and just let, you know, let the bad guys flee? Now, uh, the police chief in his news conference, while not releasing the name yet of the person that they have in custody, and they actually have three people in custody. I think they have the driver and there's two other people that were in the car or believed to be in the car with him. The chief indicated that he believed the person had a, a lengthy criminal record involving drugs. I don't know why this vehicle fled from the police. My guess is, again, criminal activity was going on. My guess is, as we talked about yesterday, frequently happens. I would be shocked if the driver had a driver's license. But they decide to run, and these two officers do what they are supposed to do. That is protecting, that is serving, and they decided to try to pursue to apprehend this car that was fleeing from them. 
So in answer to the question of some people that sent me emails about this, do I think we should change the policy because of this? No, I, I don't. This is unfortunately, it is what happens every time the men and women who serve us in law enforcement put on that badge and kiss their husband, kiss their wife goodbye when they go to work in the morning or the afternoon or the evening. They take these risks. It is why there is no such thing as a routine traffic stop. I always hate that term when you see it in the media. Routine traffic stop. During a routine traffic stop, something happened. There's nothing routine. Every time you pull somebody over, that police officer gets out of his car, they go up. They don't know what they're coming across. Maybe it's just somebody who was going 10 miles an hour over the speed limit or didn't realize their taillight was out. But for all, you know, sometimes it might be somebody who's got a body in the trunk or something like that. There's no such thing as a routine traffic stop, which is why it is so aggravating to me that as part of our modern society, so many people just decide that when they get pulled over by the police, they're going to cop an attitude um, instead of simply doing what the officer asks you to do. Because 95 percent of the time, if you do, you'll get the traffic ticket, you'll get the warning, whatever you go about your life. But when you decide that you're going to run and flee, and remember yesterday we had the story about the guy who was pulled over by the Wauwatosa police. Um, The officer gets out of the car, and then all of a sudden the car takes off, ends up crossing a center line eight blocks later and hitting and killing an 85-year-old woman who happens to be going the other way. This is unfortunately the risks that these police officers take. And, And here's... But I want to open up the phone lines on to, to start with because I think it's real clear. And I think we need to be real clear as we set the framework for our discussion moving forward about this tragedy. The police officers did nothing wrong yesterday. This is unfortunately the risk these officers take when, again, they go to work in the morning. The problem here, and we cannot lose sight of it, The problem here, as is the problem in almost all of these cases, is you have thugs or punks or bad guys or whatever term that you want to use who decide that they are going to run from the police. The reason we have this tragedy, the reason we have an officer dead as a result of yesterday, or the reason we have an 85-year-old woman dead two days ago or three days ago or whenever that happened, was because you had people, you had bad guys, you had punks, you had thugs who don't care about anything, who decide that they are going to run from the police, putting the lives of innocent civilians and putting the lives of police officers on the line and at risk. The reason this officer lost his life protecting and serving the rest of us was solely and exclusively because there were bad people fleeing from the officers yesterday um, down a heavily congested road at, what, 5 o'clock Silver Spring. Um, Silver Spring is very, very busy at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Spoken from somebody who was trying to actually go from the North Shore across to the west side yesterday at about that time. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Until people in this community decide to wake up, until we start holding people accountable for when they decide to run from the police, until there are severe consequences for that behavior, unfortunately, police officers' lives are going to be at risk. Unfortunately, civilian lives are going to be at risk 
But let's make no mistake about it. The reason this tragedy happened yesterday was solely and exclusively the responsibility of the criminals that decided to flee from the police. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Thoughts, comments about this entire situation, we'll take them in just a moment. It's 1218, this is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1221, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff on the east side. Jeff, good afternoon. Hi, Jeff, how are you? I'm okay, thanks. Okay, um, I agree with you 100%. Uh, my brother is a, a, a sheriff from Milwaukee. And we never know if he's going to come home. Um, these punks out there need to be put away. It's going to keep happening. I remember uh, a couple weeks ago, there was a caller that called in on your show, and um, it was about the police chase and, and pursuit. And I remember you asking him, well, what, what if what if uh, he was a murderer and they knew he was wanted for murder? And that guy still didn't want. Right, just let him go. Right, that was yeah, a never so chase. Yeah. Your reaction will never forget it. Mine was the exact same way. So my heart goes out to the officer who lost his life. God bless him. We don't know what we do without him. So thank you. Thanks for the call. It's just, I mean, and this is this is the scenario. I mean, for people, the the focus of this story cannot be on, gee, you know, should they have called off the chase or not? The focus of this story needs to be the fact that you have one officer who's been seriously injured and one officer who's deceased because they were doing their job because there are bad guys on the streets of Milwaukee that are running with impunity from the police. They don't care about any of the consequences. They don't care if they cross the center line and hit and kill an 85-year-old woman. They don't care if innocent people or the police officers get hurt. All they care about is trying to get away from the police to avoid any sort of responsibility and consequences so they can continue committing their criminal activities. And, you know, it starts with catching them. I was glad to see John Chisholm at that press conference. I'm glad to say that he hear him say that he's talking about, you know, consequences and holding people accountable. I hope that when the time comes to issue the charges against the people that are responsible for this, they, they do it. And I hope that that sets a precedent for this district attorney's office that, you know, when when this behavior occurs, hopefully it isn't it shouldn't take the loss of a life of either a citizen or a police officer for people to start to wake up and recognize that you need to hold these people accountable when they run, because every time somebody runs, it's got the potential to, again, have this incredible loss of life. The other thing that will be interesting, and I don't know, the police chief, Chief Morales, was talking about the man they have in custody they believe was the person responsible for the death of this police officer as a result of the flight. Um, He's talking about how he has a a lengthy criminal record. Now, I don't know what that is, but again, that's going to raise some of these other questions of perhaps why was he out on the street in the first place? 414-799-1620. Let's talk to... Todd in Milwaukee. Todd, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Good Hi, afternoon. Uh, thank you. First, I just want to give my condolences to the family, the yep. police department. Um, I'm a business owner right there at the intersection, right near the subject of Silver Spring. Mm-hmm. I drive there every day. Uh, just yesterday, I was asking myself, where are the police officers stopping? There are just crazy, insane drivers driving down bus lanes, swerving around the schools, and unfortunately, these officers, whether it's a chase or not, just the recklessness is just so out of control that we're warning our employees about driving out there. It's just 
insane. Mm-hmm. You're talking about the, the area where that, that whole, I mean, I can picture, I drive past that intersection all the time, so I know exactly where you're talking about. You're just saying that on a regular basis you see reckless driving out there. Every day, my life is in jeopardy driving on Silver Spring or Hampton Road. People are swerving around lights. They're driving down the bus lanes. They're parked cars. They're almost slamming into there. I've seen the tri- almost slamming into buses, you know, school buses stop. We are just it, it is actually waiting to happen, and I don't uh, – I mean, we already have, had it happen just yesterday. So it, it's just insane. There's the control. So it's not even a chase policy. It's just this abject disregard for human life, and it's so self-centered, and it's crazy. I'm like, where are you going in such a hurry that you get to drive like this? Well, you know, thanks, Nicole. You know, it's it's interesting that you would say that. Um, Okay, last night... We did uh, last night. I was out. I was out in Brookfield. We had this this Fox World travel, the, the cruise night for the trip I'm doing a year from now. And I, I was driving back, and I had my wife in my car, and he had one of our our friends who was going on the cruise, and she came along. And just, just I was driving back. Now this was on the freeway coming north on I-43, and it doesn't rise to the level of what happened at five o'clock yesterday afternoon. But we were stunned. I mean, there's they have all the, this road construction that's going on. I was stunned by the cars and the high rate of speed and the weaving in and out of traffic. There were two cars that I swear, I, I don't know how it was, as they were cutting across two or three lanes of traffic, all to try to advance a couple car lengths. I, I, the recklessness and the irresponsibility, I'm thinking, boy, I wish there was a police officer there to pull them over. Of course, the chances are if the police officer tried, the car would have probably took off and tried to run as well. Um, let's talk to Mike on the north. I'm sorry. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hey, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Hi, Mike. Jeff. I happen. I did happen to actually catch the uh, live interview with uh, Chief Morales, and he was choked up about uh, that and really upset about that question from the media. I really wish that the uh, pursuing vehicle would have ended up like the squad car did, and the police officer would be okay. My, I have a heavy heart for the police officer and his family and the injured officer. Yeah. And uh, really, you know, the media is just, I understand now how the police take the media probably. Well, that's, that's, my, uh, that's my opinion. Yeah, well, thanks for the call, Mike. I mean, again, there's a, there's a time and a place for, for everything. And I, I understand the chief's frustration when the first question out of the box is, you know, well, was there somebody that had called off the particular pursuit? Um, may, maybe there's a time for that. But again... That doesn't matter. I mean, see, that that's not the function, and that's not the focus. And if these, if the TV reporters and the people that write for the newspaper, if that's what they decide they want to make the focus of the story, shame on every one of them. Shame, shame, shame. Because the reason this happened, once again, is because you had somebody that, at least according to the chief, lengthy criminal record, fleeing from the police, and putting people's lives in danger at this point in time, unfortunately, happens to be a police officer who lost his life as a result of this. Don't lose sight of that fact, and don't take your eye off the ball. And I guess maybe the learning curve for the district attorney is this case gets a lot of attention because it's the police officer that was killed, and deservedly so. All right, well, you know, two days ago you have the 85-year-old woman in Wauwatosa, the retired school teacher. She loses her life because somebody is fleeing from the police. In that case, they weren't even chasing. How many of these stories do we have? Let's start getting these people who run from the police off the streets. Make it safe for everyone else. 1228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.
1236. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. Well, I guess never mind. Uh, remember, the story broke earlier this week. Um, in order to get on the ballot for an election, you have to go out and you have to get signatures on various petitions. The number of signatures you need depends on the office you're running for. If you're running for a statewide office, you want to be the attorney general, you want to be governor, you need 2,000 valid signatures. What typically will happen, because as I've explained this before, is sometimes there's a problem with, with a signature. Somebody puts the wrong date or it turns out they're not a resident or whatever. So typically any responsible candidate will turn in way more signatures than they need. I mean, you know, back in another life, years and years ago, when I ran for state attorney general, I mean, you needed 2,000. I think we turned in 4,000. And I checked them over pretty carefully, and the state elections board still knocked out like 30 signatures. I have no reason why they did it, but it doesn't matter. You're on the ballot. You know, it's you. but that's why you turn in more signatures than you need. Well, there's this interesting race out in, in the Watertown area. Um, the incumbent is... My former colleague, John Jagler, who did the morning news for us for years, he's the Republican representative in that area. And he's getting challenged, or he was being challenged, by a woman named Sharice Daniel. She's 29 years old, and she got a lot of, of attention. She was... She was featured on CNN as being one of these, you know, new women in American politics who was inspired to run based on the election of Donald Trump. And she was one of these people who was going to go out and set the world on fire. And she took part in, you know, these various like let's recruit liberal women candidates type of thing. And she was kind of portrayed as this rising star. Well, in the state assembly, in order to get on the ballot, because assembly districts are comparatively small, you need 200 valid signatures. 200 valid signatures is nothing. I mean, it's, it's really nothing. You show up a couple picnics or dairy breakfasts or whatever, you'll get 200 valid signatures, even if you're a Democrat, even if you're running in Watertown. Well, what happens is when the time comes to turn in the signatures, this Cherise Daniels, now you need 200. She turns in 201, right? Only one more than you need. Which is, I mean, I will tell you, and this doesn't matter whether it's a Republican or a Democrat, this is a red flag to the opposition because if you, if somebody turns in only one more signature than they need, then all you got to do is find two signatures that have a problem with them and that person theoretically doesn't get on the ballot. That's why it's just unheard of to not turn in 250 or 300 or 400 or whatever, just because it's not that hard to get signatures. So she's turned in 201. So Representative Jagler starts looking at this, and he notices a couple things, including the fact that several people that he knows are listed as signatories on this woman's nominating papers. He also notices, and again, this is sort of informal, you know, he's not a handwriting expert, but that it appears that, you know, it's the same handwriting for a whole bunch of the signatures. But but the bigger point is he knows these people who have supposedly signed this. And, you know, and he, and he calls up a guy who's been like a supporter and a donor to him, and he calls him up and he says, I'm, I'm just, I'm curious, what's going on? Why did you sign, you know, her, her nominating petition? She's running against me. To which the guy says, I, I didn't sign it. I, I have no idea who this person is. I'm a supporter of yours. Why would I sign the, these papers? So he starts making these phone calls to people, and he finds out it's not just one or two, but it's, well, a lot. 
uh, to the point that after he gets, uh, I think, like 10 or 15 or whatever, he starts to see that there's this pattern there. And it certainly appears that either this candidate or somebody on their behalf, it appears, was forging signatures, just forging people's names in order to get to over the 200. Where the person, whoever did this, where they got the names from and why they selected some of the people that they did, you know, who knows? I guess that will perhaps all come out. But, you know, it, it's very apparent that what you have here is somebody that, oh, well, it, it appears from the surface at least that there is a degree of fraud that, that occurred. So the first step is the State Elections Commission takes a look at it to decide whether or not there's 200 valid signatures. And it appears that that's pretty much a kind of a fait accompli. That's not going to happen. And then the district, the, the local district attorney takes a look at it to determine whether or not there's been election fraud, which is committed. Because if you do have somebody forging other people's names um, in a context like this, it would seem that it, it might be, in fact, a felony. So that's where it stood up until yesterday. Earlier this week, um, I was watching one of the news accounts. Let me give credit. Well, I... And the the woman, uh, understandably recognizing that she might have some problems here, she she lawyered up, and she had hired an attorney named Mike Maestelman, who is uh, a Democrat, but he's he he does a lot of this election stuff, and he's worked for Republicans as well. And he issues a a statement where he says, "We are gathering the relevant details now, and will present them to the elections board and local officials." We expect this issue will be resolved, and my client is looking forward to facing the voters on the ballot this fall. Huh. Well, never mind that. Uh, More likely, his client is going to be looking forward to facing a jury of 12 at some time this fall because the latest update is that the assembly candidate, the Sharice Daniels, um, has apparently, she missed the deadline to respond to the election board complaint. So she's been accused of submitting false signatures. Um, there was a time limit. You know, you have X amount of time to respond. You know, that's what they say. Okay, we've got to decide if you're going to be on the ballot. What is your response to all this? And they just didn't, <laughs> they blew the deadline. Um, unlike a couple days ago where her attorney said, we are gathering the relevant details now. We'll present them to the elections board and local officials. We expect this issue will be resolved, and my client is looking forward to facing the voters in the ballot this fall. The response by the attorney after not submitting any um, answer to the elections board was, I have no comment. <laughs> yeah, which is, um, yeah, which is probably, I have an idea. My guess is, you know, kind of went, went on is, all right, let's take a look at this, Sharice. Uh, how, how did those signatures, oh, I got all these people who say that, you know, they didn't sign these and that their names were forged and all, and um, humana, humana, humana. And so, uh, again, it appears the elections board meets on Monday. I mean, I think it's pretty much a, a certainty that the petitions are going to be disqualified and Jagler will be running unopposed, which is fine. He's a good representative. But, again, the interesting thing about this is going to be, you know, where do you go from here? And if it turns out that this woman did, in fact, or people on her behalf did, in fact, forge dozens of people's names and put them on this on this form, that my take of this would be simply saying, all right, you don't get on the ballot. That that's that's not a penalty. I mean, that's 
That's simply, hey, you took a risk at something and it didn't work out. I mean, if it is true that people's names were forged on this, especially if it was more than just one or two, one or two would be a crime. But if it really was dozens of people, I I think it's real clear that the district attorney in Jefferson County needs to get involved with this or get a special prosecutor appointed. Because, again, rather than facing the voters in an election in the fall, seems to me more likely you would be should be facing a, a jury and a judge sometime in the fall. All right, when we come back, speaking of reporters, uh, they seized her records. Some people are upset, not me. I'll tell you the story, and we'll talk about it in just a moment. 1245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1248, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The, the Senate Intelligence Committee in Washington is responsible for carrying out oversight of American intelligence agencies, including the FBI, the CIA, and the National Security Agency, and their operations. Um, it is one of the most tightly secured groups in Congress. There's strict rules for lawmakers and for the professional staff governing the circulation and release of sensitive and often classified information that goes before the committee. So this is the people that are staffing this committee um, are, are entrusted with a, a lot of operational secrets of the government. And you are not allowed. It is a crime to disclose sensitive or classified information. All right. They, and it, it's important because I understand people uh, sometimes think, well, there's this greater good that's out there. But if you're working at some of these jobs, part of your job includes that you don't get to decide what you make public and what you don't. And leaks have been a huge problem. It's a problem for the Trump administration. It was a problem for the Obama administration. It's a big deal. And I have argued for years that the leakers, in some cases what happens is the mainstream media, because they want the story. We've got this story. So they ignore the fact that they came into possession of stuff illegally. That is to say the information they obtained was illegally obtained they run with it. They say, okay, well, we've got the story. You know, we don't care. We're not the ones who stole it, not our problem. All right, well, I don't think that's a very responsible attitude, but that is the response. That is the attitude that many in the media take. All right, so there is a guy. His name is James Wolfe. He's 58. He just retired a few months ago. He served as the Intelligence Committee's Director of Security for nearly three decades. So he was the guy on this committee that was responsible for making sure that information that wasn't supposed to get out didn't get out. Well, as it turns out, for at least a few-year period, he was involved in a what they're describing as a personal relationship, and we'll just kind of let that go, with a reporter whose name is Allie Watkins, and she's worked for a number of of different outlets she worked for port now right now she works for the new york times but before that she worked for politico before that she worked for buzzfeed and they were involved in a personal relationship and i put that in quotation marks well as it turns out this this guy the 58 year old mind james wolf has just been indicted and he's been charged with lying to the fbi in connection with the investigations into the leak of classified information. So they, they believe that he was either responsible for leaks or he's been charged with lying about it. 
and the lies surround his dealings with a couple reporters. And I think also she's one of them, but I, I'm not positive of that. But regardless, I mean, so they believe that he was a leaker, that he's violated the law. He was involved in a personal, with a personal relationship with this particular reporter, who, by the way, covered the federal government and covered security matters. Never a good, not a good setup in general. Well, one of the things, and this is where it gets kind of interesting, one of the things that the government did in conducting its investigation is they went out and they subpoenaed, they obtained records of the reporters. They, they pulled, for example, phone records of the reporters. They also, um, I think, pulled various email records and things of the like. And what they were doing is, again, they were conducting this investigation. They obtained information on her Google email accounts and her Verizon phone. The seized records spanned years before and after she joined the New York Times um, to cover federal law enforcement. So what they did is they went out and they, they pulled her phone records and they pulled her email records because what they were doing is they were trying to determine whether, you know, what contacts she had with this guy and, you know, what was the nature of the contacts and was he leaking classified information, you know, to to her. Um, well, it's interesting because the, the focus of a lot of these stories is that, now, by the way, she says that, you know, she told her bosses that she was involved in a relationship with this guy that they were dating. Um, she maintained that um, he was not a source of classified information during their relationship. That's what she says. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not. But the authorities find out that she's dating this reporter and they go out and they investigate it. Well, the the Mainstream media has its undies in a bundle. They're all upset with the fact that, you know, they went out and they, they being the federal government, subpoenaed the records, the personal records of this reporter in an effort to determine the nature of her contacts with this guy who they now know was leaking classified information. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I lose sleep about a lot of stuff, you know, how many games in a row have the Brewers lost? That kind of that kind of sort of bothers me. You know, I, I lose sleep over the fact that, gee, you know, last week I, I a week ago I had to you know go have a my my tooth drilled to kind of put in a crown. I lose sleep over that type of stuff. I don't lose sleep over the federal government subpoenaing the phone records and the email records of a woman who works as a reporter who might have been the recipient of a bunch of leaks of classified information. They're not talking about charging her, but they're talking about they were doing this to try to determine whether or not the person who works for the government was violating the law, and yeah, they looked at the reporter's records. doesn't bother me at all. Does it bother you? 414-799-1620, 1255. This is Jeff Wagner. We discuss in a minute. 1257, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Coming up in less than 10 minutes, that sound you hear, might it be that blue wave crashing stick around all right now we're talking about this this outrage what what happened is the other day guy who used to be in charge he he worked he was a staff person for the, the senate intelligence committee he's now been indicted for taking classified or sensitive documents and and leaking them he's been indicted for lying to the fbi about you know what he did with classified information at the time that these leaks were occurring he was also dating 
a woman who was a reporter. Now she works for the New York Times. Before it, she worked for BuzzFeed and Politico. And one of the things the investigators were doing is they're trying to determine, hey, you know, was he leaking stuff to his girlfriend? And so what they did is they subpoenaed her um, phone records. They subpoenaed, like, her email accounts, and they got information. Well, the New York Times has its undies in a bundle. News media, this is what they write, news media advocates consider the idea of mining a journalist's records for sources to be an intrusion of First Amendment freedoms. Prosecutors acknowledge it is one of the most delicate steps the Department of Justice can take. Freedom of the press is a cornerstone of democracy, and communications between journalists and their sources demand protection, says the New York Times. Well, okay, that's fine as far as it goes, unless the person who is the source is violating federal law. It's 109, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It seems that reports of his demise may have been greatly exaggerated, to borrow the Mark Twain phrase. For the last, oh, I don't know, year and a half, maybe even before that, if you believe the template that's being pushed in the mainstream media, Donald Trump, figuratively speaking, dead man walking, scheduled uh, likely to be caught up in the Russia probe by Bob Mueller, looking at um, indictment or impeachment. You've got the Trump haters out there. There is the relentless attacks on President Trump, whether it's on the nightly the late night talk shows to the mainstream media. I was saying this earlier. I, I I've been I watched. Uh, there's this four part documentary on Showtime called The Fourth Estate, which which focuses on the New York Times and it focuses on all these reporters who've been covering Donald Trump. And it's kind of an interesting thing. And I'll be the first to acknowledge that you know Trump gives them ammunition, grist for their mill. But you watch this, and one of the takeaways is just the abject hatred. And and I don't use that word lightly. This abject hatred that these reporters at the New York Times have for him. Complete and total disdain. And if you wonder why there's never, ever a story that has any sort of positive spin, it's it's because you see these reporters just absolutely hate him. And they they cringe at the idea of having to listen to him. And it's this it is this sort of arrogant liberal elitism that you see that infects Hollywood and infects a lot of coverage in the mainstream media and all. And, it, and it's kind of an interesting thing to watch just because, again, you see it. And I appreciate that President Trump also feeds into some of that as well. But everybody, I, I think, especially in these, these media bubbles and in the hardcore left, think that not only is Trump, politically speaking, a dead guy walking, but also that there is going to be this huge, devastating blue wave that's going to crash and sweep away all these Republican candidates and things like that in the midterm elections. And I guess it's possible that could happen. But things aren't necessarily looking that way. Earlier this week, there were two separate polls which came out. One from NBC News, Washington, uh, the Wall Street Journal. Um, In April, the job approval rating for President Trump was 39% among registered voters. All right, that's not very good. Um, in last month, it had moved up in May to 44%. He'd had a 5% bump among registered voters. And to give you some perspective, that 44% approval rating was essentially the same rating 
that Barack Obama had in June of 2010 before the the midterm elections. So it was essentially he's got the same or very similar numbers to what Obama had. In addition, he has the same or similar numbers to what Ronald Reagan had in, in June of 82, two years into his term. So for everybody who sits there and thinks, okay, this is this historically awful presidency and people are just bailing right and left, well, again, you, if you believe the polls, and the one thing I think you can say about polls and President Trump is they tend to under-report the support the president has. I think that's fair. You, you saw all these polls that were wrong before the last election. I don't think they fully capture the... The, the people who are out there who support the president. But in any event, he's still underwater. I, I get it. The approval rating is 44-51, and you always want to be right around 50 or above 50. But but at the same time, it's had a fi- he's had a five-point bump in this one poll, and he's where essentially Obama was. All right, so you say, all right, that's just one poll, Jeff. You, you can't draw anything from that. Well, also this week, Fox News came out with, with their poll. And what they found is that his approval rating was 45%, essentially the same as the NBC News Wall Street Journal poll. They had it 44. This one had it at 50, at 45. Again, underwater slightly because the, the disapproval was 51%, but still, again, in the same ballpark where Barack Obama was in addition. In addition to that, when they break it down on, on issues, the economy, which you know tends to be the most dominant voting issue. Go back to Bill Clinton when he ran for office. What was the message? It's the economy, stupid. That was it. You know when people are feeling good about their job and they're feeling good about their prospects. You know that tends to influence a lot of stuff. So um, his approval rating fifty two to forty one percent on the economy, underwater on immigration, underwater on foreign policy, underwater on international trade. Meaning that more people disapprove than approve, but you know, eleven point positive on the economy, which tends to be you know the principal voting issue that's out there. So you're starting to look at this, and I understand there's a lot of this chatter that's out there that says, okay, President Trump is just history. Nobody's going to like. It's going to be a debacle in November. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, I tend to be skeptical of polls. I, I do, because they've just been wrong so much. And I also understand there's a lot of stuff that can happen between June and between November. The economy can p- completely crater. I guess I don't think that's likely to happen, but I guess it, it could. You could have trade wars. You could have shooting wars. All sorts of stuff could go wrong. So it, it's tough to predict. But one of the things that I think we're starting to see is that more and more Americans are starting to say, you know what, you know, on issues that we really care about, while we might not like his style, while we might not like, you know, the way he goes about things, why we might we might cringe from time to time with some of the tweets, bottom line is we're doing pretty darn well, and we feel pretty good about the direction the country is headed in. We feel good about the economy. And, you know, maybe President Trump isn't doing such a bad job after all. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think there is something to this. And despite the relentlessly negative coverage, despite the mocking on all the different shows and all that type of stuff, 
I think mainstream America is tuning out a lot of that stuff. I think in many cases, you know, the anti-Trump folks have overplayed their hand. And while I'll be the first to tell you, I don't think he is far, I think he is far from perfect when it comes to the issues. I think more and more people are starting to recognize that, hey, the economy is doing well. I think he's doing a decent job. 414-799-1620. Is this election year going to be a referendum on President Trump? And is it going to be a repudiation? Are we really going to see a blue wave or is that blue wave kind of ebbing as we get closer to November? 414-799-1620, 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I do firmly believe that a lot of people are just starting to tune this out. I think a lot of people are thinking, you know, this is kind of unfair now. The relentless, the relentless hostility towards the president. I think a lot of people are tuning it out. And I think that's why you're seeing, together with a good economy, that's why you're seeing the spike in popularity. All right, we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 117. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 120, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. The Brewers look to get back to their winning ways as they travel to Philadelphia. Jeff and Lane are on the call for Game 1 against the Phillies. Our Brewers coverage starts at 5.30 this evening. It is sponsored by Catholic Financial Life. All right, if you're just tuning in, um, in the last two days, there have been two polls that came out, one by NBC and the Wall Street Journal, the other by Fox News. Both of them show that President Trump has received an uptick in his approval ratings. In one poll, it's up from 39% to 44%. In another poll, it's up to 45%. Still what we call underwater. That is more disapproval than approval, but moving in the right direction if you're a supporter of President Trump. In addition, and this is kind of important, those poll numbers are pretty much the same the same as Barack Obama had at a similar point in his presidency and the same as Ronald Reagan had at a similar point in his presidency. And we both know that both Ronald Reagan and Barack Obama went on to coast. Well, they, they were comfortably reelected. Reagan um, in 84 and Obama in 2012. So for everybody who's out there that thinks, well, you know, there's no way that President Trump is going to get reelected. You start to look at these numbers, and there certainly is an historical precedent. Now, keep in mind, too, that these are numbers after a relentless, a relentless battering. I think unlike unlike anything that anybody, any of us who have watched politics for decades ha- has has seen. I mean, I understand there's always some hostility, particularly with the leftist media and, um, you know, conservative president. But this is th- – this from the beginning, and I also understand that President Trump brings a lot of it on himself by, in my opinion, picking unnecessary fights. I mean, why get into the why get into an argument about how many people showed up at your inauguration, and and then why not be able to let that go? I understand all that. Okay, so I understand he brings a lot of it on himself. But whether it's Saturday Night Live, which is no longer a comedy show, now it's just sort of a, a ninety-minute political invective. Or the relentless battering and the relentless stories as they try to, whether it's in the newspaper, on TV, let's try to find the, the gotcha moment. One of the things you start seeing is Trump, he's pretty much unscathed by by this. Um, not only have his numbers not gone down, but his numbers appear to be going up. And as long as the economy keeps chugging along, and that's, I mean, again, that's, that's an if, but as long as the economy keeps chugging along, 
I think he's doing absolutely fine. And for everybody who's out there who's saying, okay, well, this is going to be devastating for the Democrats in November, for Republicans in November, this is going to be a wave. Is it possible that Democrats could retake either the Senate or the House? Yeah, I mean, it's always a possibility there. But is it a foregone conclusion because of unpopularity with the president? I I think anybody who thinks that really needs to go back to square one because it's not shaping up that way, at least if you believe the numbers. When we come back, a follow-up on the sexual assault of students at my old high school. Stick around. It's 124, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 126, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Just coming up in just a couple minutes, it was a criminal case that really shocked the Slinger School District, um, a beloved band teacher convicted of sexual assault of a student. He's being sentenced in about a half hour. We're going to talk about that case and what should happen in just a couple moments. Um, first, though, an update. Uh, Nicolay High School, I'm a Nicolay High School graduate, um, disclosed, well, a couple months ago, it came out, when, when I was at Nicolay, there was a, a teacher. His name was uh, David Johnson, and he was the he was the the informally he he was the like the dean they didn't formally have deans of the math department though he was um in charge of freshman honors math and he won all these national awards and on behalf of of Nicolay I was never in the honors math class but he he would kind of hand pick who was in the, these classes you know with him and and he was he was about as big a deal as they they could be at, at that particular at that school well, what what happened is um, apparently that a, a former student, you know, came forward in the '80s and and said there was at least initially there was a report in the '80s, and he'd been there since the '60s, indicating that he had um, had improper contact with a a, a student, and in an, in something that I find to be completely and totally embarrassing. Nicolay swept it under the rug. There, there's no question about it. The, the superintendent, in my mind, the superintendent who since passed away, members of the school board, to their eternal discredit, they swept this under the rug because they didn't want to rock the boat. You had this very, very powerful math teacher who won all these awards and got all this national attention, and they didn't want to hear this. And it is a disgrace, in my opinion, that the school board did this. Well, all right, th- those allegations have now resurfaced. And uh, the current administration, the current principal, the current school board is trying to deal with this. What they did is they came out with a request to the community a couple months ago. And after after these requests were made public, uh, the, the teacher, David Johnson, he killed himself. I mean, he was retired, um, living up north. He, he committed suicide. But that didn't stop them from continuing to do the investigation. And they, they, they were seeking you know, other people who might have been similarly victimized came out with a statement yesterday. Apparently, in response to the the requests, another 10 people have come forward and say that they were similarly subjected to this inappropriate behavior by the teacher. My guess is that that is just the tip of the iceberg because I think there's, I firmly believe there's probably a lot of other people who had the same sort of thing happen to them but it's been a long time, and they're like, we, we just don't want to go down this. We don't want to open these doors. But th- this was a huge embarrassment for my high school, Nicolay. And, you know, now they're, they're trying to make it right. You know, they said, okay, anybody who's victimized in this fashion, you know, if you want, we'll provide you with counseling and things of, of the like. They're trying desperately to make it right. But I will tell you something. It's amazing how this affects you because on an almost daily basis, 
from where I live now to where I work. I drive past my old high school. I, I do. You see it on I-43 if you're driving south, just south of uh, you know, Good Hope Road there. You, you know, you go past Nicolet. I cannot drive past my high school without thinking about, you know, this type of stuff and what happened and the fact that, you know, people you trusted, people who were supposed to do the right thing, the school superintendent, uh, you will never convince me that other members of the faculty didn't know this type of stuff was going on. You will never convince me that this was something that was probably known and whispered about, but just not treated seriously because we don't want to ruffle feathers. And as a result, you have these victims. And I, I just, I, again, I, I I had very limited, if any, sort of contact with this guy when I was a teacher, but um, clearly other students were. They were victimized in a fashion. And it, it's just, I think, current administration is doing the right thing. But it's one of those that when you think back on, and I knew people who were on the school board. I knew you know, the school superintendent, it is just aggravating that they allowed this to go on, and you will never convince me that they didn't know about it, or at least that they shouldn't have known about it. In any event, um, another 10 people have come forward. Like I say, I think that's the tip of the iceberg. They're not going to do anything else because there's really, you know, nothing to do at this point. But it's it's really a stain on, I think, a, a, what was at one time a very, very good high school. 135, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Whenever we, we hear stories about, I don't know, long time, in this case, the case I was just talking about, my high school, a, a very well-respected math teacher who was just an institution at the school for decades, and you know reports that come out that, that show that there was a, a pattern of inappropriate behavior, lots of people are, are just completely and totally surprised. They're shocked by it. Other people sometimes say, well, we, we kind of saw that that coming. Uh, this is a situation that what we're going to talk about now that I think genuinely surprised a lot of people. Slinger High School. There was a, a band director, band teacher, named David Hanke, who had been there for 30-some-odd years, 35 years, I think, until he retired in 2012. And... Over the years, if you talk to people who went to this school, who who knew him, um, they they just they loved him. They said this is a guy who you know brought an appreciation for music and did all these great things for kids. It was really one of those people that you know if you go back and you say who was your favorite teacher, who was your most memorable teacher, you know, in high school. And I mean, I I, I have an image. It's my friend Ron Ernst to this day, my old debate coach. But I mean, th- this would be one of the people really affected people's lives. So when these allegations came out, it, it absolutely stunned a number of people in the community. Um, he has now been convicted of this following a trial, but just let's review the, the facts. Criminal complaint, the, the victim in this case is now 34 years old. She said the alleged sexual assault occurred when she was a student at Slinger High School, and he was her band teacher. The complaint indicated the victim told investigators that in either 1999 or 2000, when she was 16 or 17 years old, she was invited to his home in Hartford after school. The victim indicated he offered her beer, which she drank. They talked. He eventually invited her to take a look at the basement. In the basement, the victim told investigators he offered to give her a back massage. She said he suggested she remove her shirt and bra, so that he could provide a proper massage. She felt said she felt awkward, didn't know what to do. 
Um, and, you know, one thing leads to another. She told investigators the massage quickly turned into inappropriate touching. She said she froze. She was scared, didn't know what to do. She um, remembers standing in his driveway, him making some statement about their circle of trust. Victim says she remembers she could not get out of there fast enough. Um, She said never spoke of this again until college. She said she and Hanky never spoke about what happened. They acted as if nothing happened between them. And then he came to visit her at college, et cetera, et cetera. They went out. Uh, she said she got very drunk, um, thought Hanky would be taking her back to her dorm, but instead took her to a hotel, et cetera, et cetera. So anyways, there is a trial. After these reports get made public, um, nearly a dozen Slinger High School graduates have now come forward accusing the retired band teacher of doing similar sort of stuff. And at trial, I believe that there, not all this was introduced, but I believe that there were a couple people who testified. In any event, he was convicted. He is scheduled to be sentenced uh, this afternoon. I think the sentencing's at least when I last checked, supposed to kick off around 2 o'clock in Washington County Circuit Court. The man now is 67 years old. He was found guilty in April of sexual assault of a student by school staff in his home in 2000. Um, and again, this is a situation which has just absolutely stunned the community. The district attorney is recommending a maximum sentence, five years in prison, followed by five years of supervision. The defense attorney is saying, no, you don't need to send the man to prison. Probation, guy 67 years old, he doesn't teach anymore, he's not in particularly good health, um, he lacks any past criminal record. He had heart and brain tumor surgery in August. He's recovered, um, though his conditions need monitoring. Uh, essentially, um, you know, leniency is what is called for in this matter. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. What is justice in this particular case? You have, in this case, uh, an educator, band director, who, like I say, for three decades, just beloved by the students. And that's why this has been such a shock, I think, for the community out there. A lot of the kids look back and say, hey, this this was my favorite teacher in school. This is great. He did so much for us. Well, it, it turns out that there was this, apparently, if you believe the jury and the verdict, and these other people have come forward, that there was this other side to the band director. But now he's out of teaching. He's disgraced. He's got health situations. He's 67 years old. The DA says five years in prison. What is justice? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We will discuss in just a moment. I'll tell you where I come down on this. But what do you think is the right thing? What should the judge do later today? 141, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 144, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. These are stories that, that nobody feels good about. But at the same time, it, it just demonstrates that, you know, you, you just don't know exactly what's going on with people. We're talking about the sentencing that's going to kick off in about 15 minutes now, I think, involving this guy who was a, a band director and a teacher at Slinger High School for three decades, who's now been convicted of inappropriate sexual contact with a student going back a number of years. Judge is going to have to decide what do you do with him. The district attorney is recommending uh, a five-year prison sentence. He was taken into custody, I believe, as soon as the jury returned a conviction. The defense is saying, hey, he's 67 years old. 
He's not teaching anymore. He's in bad health. Putting him in prison doesn't do anything. Jason in Sheboygan. Jason, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Uh, good afternoon. Um, real quick, I, I really think the health, the age, has nothing to do with it. Um, what about he was 30 years old and had a tumor and six months to live? Are, are you going to say no prison? Uh, it's ridiculous. And I want to just add, uh, my ex-wife, I just spent a lot of time explaining her back in 2000. And uh, okay, be, was, be careful here. I, I don't. Want, you're not going to. I don't want to say I'm stuff gonna that's going. Okay, okay. I'm I don't. I don't want to say stuff that's going to get me sued. So okay. Sure. But I'm just going to say this man was loved. He yes. was worshipped in that community. Um, yeah. And I, I just think he should be just like anybody else. Just like Bill Cosby, age and and your health should not come into play. That's my opinion. No, thank, thanks for calling. No, and see, I guess that that you know the Bill Cosby example is, I, I think a, a good one. Now that it, it's not perfect because you know you've got you know different conduct and, and things like that. But in, in this particular case, if you have teachers who used their status and used that sort of special relationship you have with students. In order to you know, gain sexual gratification or whatever, I, I, there has to be punishment and penalties. I mean, there, there, there just does. And that's why I led into this topic by talking about, again, the stuff that went on in my high school, you know, Nicolet, where you had this, again, incredibly respected, powerful, well thought of, you know, teacher who it appears, at least if you believe all the different allegations that have come forward and the school board's done its investigation and they believe there's merit to it, who used his position in, at least in some respects, you know, used it as in, in a way to, you know, obtain sexual gratification and take advantage of students who looked up to him and worshipped him. And I will tell you, I mean, I think in the case I was familiar with, I think some people just decided they didn't want to come forward at the time. They knew what was going on was wrong, but it was like, okay, do we want to go down this route? Is anybody going to believe us? What's going to be the effect? You know, our, our, you know, it's us against this powerful person. And my thinking is the same thing was going on, I, I think, out in, in Slinger. And the, the bottom line of this is I understand on the one hand, you've got somebody who did all sorts of wonderful things and helped kids was beloved, but at the same time, you have somebody who stands convicted of, of abusing that trust in the most vile way possible. And, and yeah, I think there needs to be accountability. I think just simply saying, okay, well, you're 67 years old and you're not teaching and you're publicly disgraced as a result of this, yeah, those are penalties as well, but but you've got to pay the price for doing stuff like this. There, there needs to be consequences, and if I were the judge in Washington County, I wouldn't take any pleasure in doing it. it. It's not something that anybody gets happy about. Wouldn't take any pleasure in doing it. But yeah, I, I think criminal, I think jail time, prison time is in fact required because of the nature of this crime and the incredible, incredible breach of trust that's there. And uh, again. It's not a direct factor in connection with the sentencing, but once this story broke, you have other students who came forward and said that they had other types of of experiences as well. So it tells me this wasn't necessarily just an isolated case. It's unfortunate. It doesn't make anybody feel good, but there needs to be accountability. And my guess is, just like me with Nicolay, I think there's probably a lot of people that that went to Slinger over the years that are, are never never going to necessarily view their high school in the same way. It's 150. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 
152, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Coming up in the 2 o'clock hour of the program, we are going to make a, we're going to take a hard turn, we're going to lighten up the program dramatically, kind of heavy, a lot of heavy stuff for the first two hours of today's show. We are going to lighten it up substantially, um, including a major, a major iconic American company, which is about, about to do. One of the but dumbest things that I have ever seen in my life. And, and that includes, remember, this is probably before your time, Groove, who's producing the show today and always, uh, when Coca-Cola decided, here, we've got the idea, we're going to come out with new Coke. Okay, this idea that we're going to discuss, in my opinion, it, it's like new Coke. And then, you know, the, my, the, the politically correct folks at Marquette University decided the nickname couldn't be the Warriors anymore because... Well, I don't know. That was stereotypical and offensive. So they, they convened these committees, and the original idea was they were going to be the Marquette Gold. Okay, take New Coke and the Marquette Gold, put those together, and this idea is dumber than both of them combined. We're going to talk about that in just a couple minutes. And um, before Pop Culture Corner, if you want a chance to ride the flop, I mean the hop, or at least see the cars, uh, there you've got an opportunity this afternoon um, we're going to discuss the Milwaukee trolley system as well, so that's all coming up. But one more just piece of heavy lifting, some some very, 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 very sad news. If you are if you are a news junkie and you enjoy reading enlightened and bright political commentary, pol- particularly intelligent conservative commentary, which you, you don't necessarily get. I'm not, not saying that you don't get intelligent conservative commentary, but I'm saying you don't see conservative commentary that many places because it's just, well, it's, it's not PC. But one of, you know, one of the, the brilliant writers over the years is, is Charles Krauthammer. Charles Krauthammer, who, um, you, you perhaps have seen on television or, you know, heard or read his pieces as they appeared in the Washington Post and then were syndicated. Really interesting guy. Um, he, he's a graduate of, of Harvard Medical School, and he, he's a psychiatrist. I mean, that, that, that was his training. And then, you know, he, he went from being, and again, you talk about trying to overcome adversity. When he was in uh, medical school, I believe, he was paralyzed from the neck down in a diving accident. Um, but, you know, he did not let that stop him. He graduated with his class from Harvard Medical School, um, went on to work for the Carter administration, um, you know, was a speechwriter for Walter Mondale and, and ultimately migrated from the field of, of medicine, in this case his chosen field of psychiatry, into, um, again, political commentary. Started writing for the Washington Post in 1985, and anybody who does a, a conservative radio show will, will, I will tell you, once a week when that column comes out, you'd look to see, you know, what is Charles Krauthammer writing? My friend and colleague Charlie Sykes regularly used to, Say, let's drop the Krauthammer, remember? And he'd read a portion of, of that. Um, interesting story has come out today and very, very bad news. This is the um, statement that he issued uh, yesterday. Actually, it came out today, I guess. Here's what he writes. I have been uncharacteristically silent these past 10 months. I had thought that silence would soon be coming to an end, but I'm afraid I must tell you now that fate has decided on a different course for me. In August of last year, I underwent surgery to remove a cancerous tumor in my abdomen. That operation was thought to have been a success. This is Charles Krauthammer writing. But it caused a cascade of secondary complications, which I have been fighting in hospital ever since. 
It was a long and hard fight with many setbacks, but I was steadily, if slowly, overcoming each obstacle along the way and gradually making my way back to health. However, recent tests have revealed that the cancer has returned. There was no sign of it as recently as a month ago, which means it is aggressive and spreading rapidly. My doctors tell me their best estimate is that I only have a few weeks to live. This is the final verdict. My fight is over. I wish to thank my doctors and caregivers whose efforts have been magnificent, my dear friends who have given me a lifetime of memories and whose support has sustained me through these difficult months, and all of my partners at the Washington Post, Fox News, and Crown Publishing. Lastly, I thank my colleagues, my readers, and my viewers who have made my career possible and given consequence to my life's work. I believe that the pursuit of truth and right ideas through honest debate and rigorous argument is a noble undertaking. I am grateful to have played a small role in the conversations that have helped guide this extraordinary nation's destiny. I leave this life with no regrets. It was a wonderful life, full and complete, with the great love and with the great loves and great endeavors that make it worth living. I am sad to leave, but I leave with the knowledge that I lived the life that I intended. I leave with the knowledge that I lived the life that I intended. What what a great line and, and what a great epithet. What what a just what a great way. And um, so it, it's for anybody who's ever you know either dealt with cancer or had you know a loved one deal with cancer. You know that this is this is oftentimes the pattern. You know it gets identified. You you take an aggressive form of uh, dealing with it. There are good days. There are bad days. There's days that inspire hope and then. Unfortunately, sometimes it just comes roaring back and then, you know, you get slapped in the face by reality. And that's apparently what happened to Charles Krauthammer. And, you know, he's told he's been told he's got a month to live or so. And so he's he's saying goodbye. He's leaving on his terms. But again, for, for any of us who as news junkies or opinion junkies have have followed his columns on a regular basis and look forward to gee, what's he going to write about this week and who's you know, relied on him to kind of inspire or at least challenge us and to make us, you know, think about things. Um, he's, he's going to definitely, definitely be missed. But I, I love I love the line. I'm sad to leave, but I leave with the knowledge that I lived the life that I intended. Who can ask for more than that? 158, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 208, this is Jeff Wagner. We're going to lighten it up this hour. Pop Culture Corner coming up right after the 2.30 news. Melissa, don't go anywhere. Okay. Want, want to play my abbreviation game with me here? I would love to. See, now that's a sport. How about oh. you? How about you, Gru? <laughs> what about you, you? You in on this as well? Okay, you're in it as well. Okay, good enough. All right, all right. I'm, I'm going to ask you. I'm going to I'm going to give you some brand names. Some so they're known by their initials, and ask if you know what they are. Okay, um, CVS, like the CVS pharmacy. Do you do you know what the those C- stand for? Yeah. Gosh, I never really thought about it. I don't. Right, you, right. But you, you know what? It, when you see, when you hear CVS, mm-hmm. you you know it's it's a pharmacy, right? Exactly. Um, consumer value stores, CVS, consumer. Okay, right. And um, all right, KFC. When I say KFC, well, what's Kentucky that? Fried Chicken. Okay, but but again, yeah. we'll, we'll go through this. But right, but <laughs> you look at but but again, when you hear KFC, you know exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about Kentucky Fried Chicken. Yeah. Right? All right. Um. All right. Uh, uh, 3M. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, well, first of all, you know what 3M is? Yes, I know they're located in Minnesota, Minneapolis. They right. have uh, 3M, and that's with scotch tape and yeah, different right. products. 
I don't know. Oh, it's uh, Minnesota Mining and Manufacturing. You know, oh, very good on your yeah. on your Minnesota thing. <laughs> but you again, you, you we we think of it in that fashion. Okay, now these are a little bit trickier. Um, a and W. Like, oh, for, if I say A and W, what do you? Do you well, know I think what that root is? beer. Yeah, yeah, like the stands and stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you know what A and W means? I, I don't. It's actually, and, and I, I didn't either until I was kind of researching this topic, so don't feel bad. I mean, it, um, no, I it, feel like I know half of them, it, and I don't know. It, it, it's named after the founders, Allen and Wright. A and W, like imagined root that. beer. It's it. Well, in that same way, here's a here's here's one to like pull out. Okay, Gru, I'm going to let you. Um, well, you get your first whack at this. Okay, all right. M and M's. You know what M and M's are, right? Yes, you know what M and M's are. Okay. Do you know what? Do you know what? Where that M and M's come from? He says one of them is Mars. Look at the big brain on my producer group, right? Um, it's M&M's, are, they're, they're Mars and Murray's, uh, named after Mars, like the Mars candy founder Forrest Mars, mm-hmm. and Hershey's Bruce Murray. Since Hershey had control of ration chocolate during World War II, when M&M's came to be. I love this. So, this is a great so topic. They're like, they're like Mar- Mars and, and Murray. Okay, um... Uh, Okay, my producer wants to play. You have one. Okay, go ahead. I'm losing control of my show. Okay, go ahead. What? VHS. Um, yeah, like, you know, I know what a VHS tape is. He says, like, the cassette tapes. No, I know what VHS is. What's the brand? I don't know. Video. Oh, you don't know what it is. You just threw that out there. Oh. Well, He's but, wrong about that. <laughs> I don't uh, think we know. All right. VHS. Um, okay, another BMW. No, what, you know, first of all, when I say BMW, mm. you know, Melissa, you know what you know what when it, I do. I, BMW Beamer or something. Bavarian Motor Works. Oh, okay. So. Um, but but I guess the um, I'll give you another um, MTV. You know, when, when music say, television. Yeah, but but again, when we say MTV, you don't say music television. You say MTV, and automatically, I mean, you know, sure. everybody knows it's known by the initials. So right. we need to have an initial for your show, <laughs> so people can just say it. Well, well yeah, yeah, well, or, or maybe there's maybe they've they've got something other than initial that they say. <laughs> um, okay, but this is, and I mean, a couple others would be like AT and T, you know, which is American Telephone and Telegraph. But all right, this this is kind of a long way of, of saying. But I, I guess my point is, I think one of the ways that you've really made it as a brand is if people know you by your initials you you don't you know you say kfc and everybody knows it's kentucky fried chicken right or you've made it when you only use your first name oh yeah like madonna right share yeah okay okay, right right. all right um all right but there is an iconic an iconic brand which according to the releases on the internet Say that they are going to be making a major change as of Monday. Have you seen the story? When I say IHOP, what what am I referring to? The International House of Pancakes. Right, IHOP. It, it is. Uh, you know, you don't have to I say. I did see I'm, a little teaser commercial this morning. You you don't say I'm going to the International House of Pancakes. You say I'm going over to IHOP, and everybody knows that you're you're going there. I, I think. Uh, and I like IHOPs. I mean, I, I you know, for, for what they are, I, IHOP, for the last week, has been saying that starting Monday, they are not going to be IHOPs anymore. They are going to change the name. Instead of IHOP, it is going to be IHOP, I-H-O-B. Internet, and, and they won't say what the B is. They've been... 
like fostering speculation. Like, so it's not going to be the International House of Pancakes anymore. It's going to be the International House of... I'm guessing breakfast? I would guess breakfast, yeah. too. I mean, some people are saying International House of Bacon or burritos or Could whatever. Could be brunch. Yeah, but I mean, I, it's would, probably breakfast. I would think it would be breakfast as well. You know, International House of Breakfast. But, but having said that, and this is where we're going to open up the phone lines in just a minute. Now, they've gotten a lot of attention because, like I say, there's... There's stories. My gosh, I'm looking at, uh, this is lead story on NPR. This is the lead story on Fox Business. One after another that they are considering changing the name from IHOP to, uh, they're going to change the name from IHOP to IHOB. They're not saying what the B means, but I mean, I would assume it's International House of Breakfast. If, if they were to do this, I mean, if this is something beyond just a publicity stunt, which which it may very well be, you know, because they've got people talking about this now. So maybe it's possible that on come Monday it's going to be, oh, this was just a joke. We changed it for, you know, one day or whatever. But if they are, in fact, seriously considering changing the name of International House of Pancakes, the, the IHOP to IHOP, well, the headline in Fox Business says IHOP to IHOB name change would be the dumbest move ever. Brand experts warn. Goodbye, IHOP. Hello to IHOB. The 60-year-old iconic pancake chain announced it's literally flipping the last acronym from P, pancakes, to a mystery B. Uh, the breakfast joint's acronym coined for its host of international pancakes teased the news earlier this week to drum up press and encourage its customers to guess what its new name could possibly stand for with plans to do the official reveal on Monday. All right, I give them credit for getting people to talk about this. They've succeeded. But here's what I want to talk about with you. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Just like changing the name of M&Ms or changing PBR or changing KFC, iconic brands that people recognize by their initials. I don't care what that B is going to be, but taking something like IHOP and changing it to IHOB, and again, I'm with Melissa, I presume it's going to be breakfast, but who knows? Who who knows what it is? I think this would be of a level of, again, that that huge failed effort with, with New Coke or the Marquette Gold, or a handful of other changes. I understand that you've got to stay current. I understand that you know you always want to move your product along. And I understand that just because something's been you know successful for sixty years doesn't mean it's going to be continued to successful for another sixty years. But I hop to I hop, whatever the B might be, is this going to be a huge success? Or do you agree with me and with a lot of these Fox business experts? That if they would really do this, this would be so staggeringly stupid that it almost defies description. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is there anything wrong in 2018 with the International House of Pancakes logo? 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. It's 217. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. 220, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, here's another acronym, ESPN. When you hear ESPN, 
you you think of the, the sports network. ESPN, um, when it started in 79, that stands for Entertainment and Sports Programming Network, ESPN, Entertainment and Sports Programming Network. Um, they apparently dropped the full name in February of 85, but you, you get the idea. It's like e, ESPN. It's something that's known. When you say IHOP, everybody knows International House of Pancakes, yet on Monday, they are changing the name. It's not going to be IHOP. It's going to be IHOB, H-O-I-H-O-B. Um, they're not saying what the B is. My guess is it's going to be International House of Breakfast, and the idea is going to be, well, we're more than just pancakes. Well, everybody knows they're more than pancakes, don't they? 414-799-1620. I think this is just a stagger. If it If it's legit, I think it is a staggeringly dumb move. When you have a brand that people know – by its initials, why in the world would you change something like this? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Jerry in Bayview. Jerry, you're in WTMJ. Hi there. Hi, Jerry. If, it, if it's not going to be the International House of Bacon, I do not want him to make a change. <laughs> <laughs> because bacon is hot. Bacon well, is hot. Now, now, the only thing I can say is the, the only marketing other plan I can think of, if this fails, then they're going to try to have some type of nationwide vote to bring back, you know, the IHOP. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so they'll get, they'll get some free, you know, publicity. Well, you know, I guess I just look at some of these things, Jerry, and my general attitude is sometimes I think people overthink stuff. If it's not broke, why bother fixing it? And if everybody knows your brand by IHOP, why would you create brand confusion? I just, I, and, and don't, I mean, don't people who go to IHOP know that you get something more than pancakes there? Do you think anybody really drives by and says, well, I, I want bacon and eggs, so I'm not going to go in there? Does, does anybody really know that, think that way? Uh, absolutely not. No, thanks they go to IHOP for a reason. Right. Now, thanks for the call, 414-799-1620. I mean, is there, is there legitimately confusion uh, about this? I mean, is is this something that – I mean, look, and I understand sometimes you need to upstate stuff to move it into the 21st century or things like that, or sometimes these brand names get – I don't know. They just get associated with stuff that's gone out of favor, and, and you need to upgrade it. I mean, so I, I understand you, you've always got to keep stuff fresh, and I, I can see the argument being – well, you know, we're more than just pancakes nowadays because we serve breakfast and stuff. But doesn't everybody really, doesn't everybody really know that? I, I mean, seriously, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. I mean, there's a there's a place on the east side of Milwaukee called the something. All these places have pancakes in their name, you know, and I, it's um, Pancake House, not International House of Pancakes, but like a Pancake House. I know when I go there that you can get pancakes, but you can also get all sorts of other stuff as well. Janet in Milwaukee. Janet, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. Hi, Janet. Hi. What do you think? Well, what I think is that this might be a very small, a very smart business move for them. If you look at the diet, the demographics of who knows what the, who the IHOP is, that's us. But that doesn't mean we go in the IHOP anymore. So by doing this, I'm thinking they might be going to be dropping that whole I whatever part. And just be calling them House of Pancakes or their, I mean, House of Breakfast. House of Breakfast. You know, I just really see this as a marketing that they're trying to, t- you know, trigger it to and, and target that younger generation. Okay, but don't you, the, the younger generation, don't you think that, that, don't you think even the 
even those clueless millennials out there, and I always kid around because my producer is not a clueless, but he's a millennial. I mean, don't you think even son. like, <laughs> I mean, you're, 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 I mean, you say IHOP to your son, your, your, your son's going to know it's the International House of Pancakes, right? Yes. I don't know. You, you say IHOP, I think people are going to go, what? <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. I, I'm thinking they're not going to go with that I anything anymore. They're going to want people to start, the newer generations coming up, to start talking about, Oh, let's go over to the House of Breakfast. Let's go over to Breakfast House. You never know. You know what I'm, I'm well, I, I, I want to I, say? But, well, no, obviously, Janet, I mean, they're, they're, if this, in fact, is more than just a publicity stunt and they're really going to make these changes, obviously there's people that make a whole bunch more money than you and I do who are getting paid that they've got some study that thinks this is going to be a great idea. I'm just, I'm just not one of them, I guess. Well, <laughs> no. I just wanted to... No, I, I get it. No, thank, no, thanks for calling. I mean, it's like, it's like, I've got a text here. Are we going to make KFC the, um, I, I don't know, um, Kentucky fried poultry or, or something like that? All right. Mike on the Northwest side text and says, Jeff, you might be missing the point. Maybe the whole business model is changing. Maybe they are getting out of the breakfast business. Maybe this is going to be the international house of beer. IHOP. Huh. All right, now, okay, well, that that would be something there. International House of, of Beer. Let's talk to um, William, who's calling us from Illinois. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Well, if it's going to be breakfast, I think uh, it's nonsensical. It limits people's uh, options in their own mind. You know, people have mm-hmm. had breakfast. They've had lunch. Okay, where do we have dinner? Let's go to the – no, we don't want to go to International House of Breakfast because uh, – yeah. We all know that it has more than that. But in people's minds, the subconscious, oh, breakfast, uh, I, I see no rational reason if they're going to do that. And it works. I have already just, yeah, it sounds like change for the sake of change. Yeah. Uh, it, uh, yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, it's, thanks for calling. People strive constantly. Brands try to, dis- they, they, now look, now I understand sometimes, you know, brands fall out of favor and you have to make the changes. But if you've, I, I mean, you know, if, if you've got A and W's, why would you why would you change A and W? Say A and W root beer. People know exactly what you're talking. They might, they don't know what the A and W means, but they know exactly what you're talking about. Here with IHOP, you you know both you you recognize it by the acronym, but you also know that stands for International House of Pancakes. You've got an iconic brand. Why would you possibly change it? And again, maybe this is just a publicity stunt to try to generate conversation and all the stories they're doing, and they're going to say, no, never mind. But if they do change it to International House of Breakfast, I've just got two words, new Coke. Stick around, 227, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We've reached that point in the week where we stopped doing all the heavy lifting, and today's show was... Unfortunately, some heavy lifting, not just the politics, but the horrible story involving the Milwaukee police officer who lost his life um, chasing a bad guy yesterday. And uh, just it, it underscores. Yeah, and I understand it is fashionable in some circles to kick on the police. And I understand that, that sometimes you, you see uh, a snippet of a video and say, oh, why are they doing that or why are they doing the other thing? And, 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 and I get it, and I understand at the same time it is a tough job, it is a dangerous job, and I think for everybody who takes that for granted or views police officers as the enemy, you got to recognize that there there is this thin blue line that's out there, and 
Um, you have men and women in law enforcement who put their lives on the line every day to try to make this a better and a safer community. And every once in a while, unfortunately, they have to, the, the circumstances come together and they end up paying the ultimate sacrifice. And we had that horrible story in Milwaukee yesterday. So let, let's, I'm, I want to try to move on and I want to try to, uh, uh, lighten it up as we go into the, the good weekend. Looks like it's going to be an interesting weekend. Weather's going to be a little bit iffy. Doesn't sound like there's going to be any complete total washouts though. At this time of the day on Friday, we do this every week. We call it segment Pop Culture Corner, where I, I talk about something that, I don't know, typically there's something in the news of the week that's triggered an idea in my mind, and it tickles my fancy, and I hope it will tickle yours. Summerfest is going to be starting soon. Um, 11 days, a lot of fun. It is, I think, fairly described as the world's greatest music festival. There's going to be bands from all over that are going to be coming. Some bands that you know maybe you've heard of, lots of bands that if you're like me, you probably haven't heard of. But nonetheless, it's, it's always a, a great show. I love music. I, I just I have no musical talent myself. I just I, I didn't I didn't get that gene. But I have an appreciation for music and I appreciate also how difficult it is to to play songs and I'm just, I'm always amazed at at the creativity that goes into you know, writing a song or, you know, not just the, whether it's the lyrics or whether, you know, it's the music to that. I, I'm just I'm amazed at, at people who are able to sit down and say, OK, I am going to create this song out of whole cloth. I'm going to be able to sit there with this blank canvas or I'm going to be doodling around on my guitar or on the or on the piano or whatever. And next thing you know, after you know different trials and errors, you, you've got this great song. We all have songs that we like. But for, I think, almost all of us, there is, I've always described it as the song of your life. That is one particular song that that speaks to you. Maybe it's a song that, that captures who you think you are or who you think you want to be. Maybe it's a song that came along at a particularly significant time of, of your life, Maybe it is that song that brings back the the memories of that the, the great love of your life. I, I don't know, but it's it's the song of your life. It is the soundtrack of your life. And when you think back, that song is the one that that's playing. And I thought for a little bit of fun on a Friday afternoon with Summerfest coming on, that's what our pop culture corner topic would be: the, the song of your life. Maybe it's your favorite song. But it doesn't necessarily have to be your favorite song. You know, you hear it, you know, on your home stereo system or whatever. You stop and say, that song, that's the song of my life. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's have a little fun talking music. The song of your life. And you can define that however you want. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and and text line. We're not live streaming today for a couple reasons, but um, talk and text line is active, 414-799-1620. And as I always advise people on these topics, call in quickly because our phone lines tend to jam up and don't overthink it. You know, it's just when you think, what would be the song of my life? Boom, I've got it. Go with it. 414-799-1620. We're back to talk about the song track, the title song track of your life. Stick around. 240, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 244, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, the song of your life. Bob in Milwaukee. Bob, you're first. Hello. 
I'm first. You're Woo-hoo. first. <laughs> yeah. uh, coming out of the early 70s, American Pie. By Don McLean. Yeah, that was, oh, um, gosh, yeah. you know, that was one. I don't remember why, but sometime in the last couple months, I heard American Pie, and I actually went to the Internet, and I was I was trying to – there's so much in there that you just don't know what it's talking about or referring to. I was actually looking at the Internet, okay, what does this phrase mean, and why, what does it mean when McLean says that and all? But it, it's it, – that I remember when that first came out, too. What an incredible song. Yes, yes. Good memories, and anytime it's on – I pull over and I got to listen to it all the way through. <laughs> well, right, yeah. Thanks for calling. I mean, the day the music died. I mean, everybody knows that was the Buddy Holly thing. But it, it is. It's one of these these songs that you just think, my my gosh, what an epic type of uh, what an epic type of tune. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Jim in Mount Pleasant. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. You you and I met at a Lincoln Day dinner. When you were running for political office. Oh, my gosh. That was a long time ago, buddy. You go back a long ways. It was. But, but this song goes back a long ways. I'm actually going to a dinner tonight with 150 people where we've all been asked to come up with a song. Okay. So I, I'm getting a double dip out of this one today. Okay. What's the song? The classic by the Eagles, Hotel California. Arguably their most successful song ever that... You know, um, that people, I, you know, who, who knows what that particular tune means? That's another one. That's a song that everybody that hears it has some sort of different interpretation about what that's all about. I live 15 minutes in California from the Hotel California. Okay. <laughs> right? In, in Palm Springs. Okay. Yeah, well, I tell you, you know, I mean, thanks. That was, you know, that was one that was just such an incredible hit, and that album was a hit, and, and everybody it had different interpretations. What is this all talking about? You know, talking about the Eagles. I um, I'm going to see. I'm I'm going taking a day off at the end of this month. My brother and I are going to drive up to Minneapolis, and Jimmy Buffett is opening for the Eagles at Target Field in a couple of weeks. I think it's like June. June 30th, I think. It's a Saturday night. I'm, we're going up on that Friday. So that, that's where I'll be. Looking forward to seeing the Eagles. 414-799-1620. Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hello. The song of your life. Uh, Leonard Skinner, Freebird. Yeah, I can't go wrong with With me, you can't go wrong with Leonard Skinner. But but just why Freebird? What, what is it about that that speaks well, to you? I, I, just because it was, I, I, being a child, I'm about your age. I'm yeah. a child of the 70s. I'm about your age or whatever. It was just um, something that just kind of spoke to me yeah my lifestyle and things like that and, and then you know if if i had to throw in a close second and you might remember this too would be jethro tall thick as a brick uh, yeah yeah <laughs> you know it's, yeah I, I remember that you know it's interesting about Freebird. i um i'm a big leonard skinner fan and um gosh one of the obscure cable channels i want to say eh, it's not real so it was it was one odd one and and they had like a leonard skinner by, uh, it's like a four-hour thing about the history of of the band, and I, I just my my wife just walked in, and I was watching this, and she kind of looks at it, and it's like, why are you you watching this thing? But it, it took them through the different albums and all the band changes and stuff. But you know, one of the I mean, one of the big things it came back that that I mean, Freebird, Freebird, arguably one of the most most talked about or most popular rock and roll songs ever. You can't go to a concert without somebody yelling, you know, play Freebird. 414-799-1620, the song of your life. Jim in Waukesha. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. Song of your life. 
I did it my way. <laughs> um, regrets? You've had a few, but then again, okay. too few to mention. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I love, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I, when I think about that, I think of Sinatra. I don't know if other people have done it as well. I know, I know there's, I mean, you, you've had some modern updates of it, but Sinatra was just incredible with my way. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, and, and it's another one. That's, I mean, thanks for that. That's another one of these songs that just completely and totally does in fact speak to you. Todd in Milwaukee. Todd, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? I am well, thank you. Okay. The song of your life. Maybe I'm amazed by Paul McCartney. Yeah, that's a. It, it's you know what what always amazes me too is, is how much incredible stuff McCartney has put out over the years. I mean, you think about the Beatles stuff, but then you look at his career as a solo artist, and it's just it, it's it, it is an amazing catalog that he has. What an incredibly talented guy! Absolutely. Hey, God bless you guys. Thank thanks. You. Uh, thanks a lot for calling. I appreciate it, Todd. Four one four seven nine nine. One six twenty. All right, the song of your life. Uh, let's see, um, Mrs. Robinson, huh? The texter says I can't go into any details, but it would be Mrs. Robinson. I'll uh, I'll just kind of let that one go by. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to uh, Joe in Milwaukee. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. My favorite melody is uh, by Elton John and Bernie Taupin. Uh, honky tonk. Oh, oh, yeah. Um, you know that upbeat, uh, you know, rhythm in that. The you know the early Elton John, incredibly talented guy. But the the first couple albums, you know, leading up to like Yellow Brick Road and stuff, were, were that it was just incredible. And and you want to talk about a, a marriage of you know the the words and the music together. He and Toppin were just. And I guess they still write some stuff now, still. But th- those first couple albums were just incredible. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. Yep. Yeah. Thanks for going. No, absolutely outstanding. Let's see. Um, let's go to Jeannie in Brookfield. Jeannie, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Jeannie. I chose Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven and the Child of the 60s. <laughs> um, I, you know, it's, it's just that that's another one where. It's instantly recognizable. You hear a couple of those chords, and everybody knows you, you hear Stairway to Heaven. You're climbing the Stairway to Heaven. Um, can't go wrong with Led Zeppelin either. I mean, you, you just can't go wrong with Zeppelin. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. 414-799-1620. Time for a couple more. Let's People will say, okay, what would be the song of your life? I, I will tell you, um, it, for me, it would be two. Um, one is, it's my favorite Buffett tune. Um, now... Um, and, and it's called A Pirate Looks at 40, which is, he, he wrote it about a guy who was kind of a drug smuggler who quite never, never found his way in the world. I don't know why I, cause I feel I found my way in the world, but I, I've just always thought that that was just an incredible one. We got married to the song Come Monday, which is a Buffett song. That's friends, my wedding song. So I think about that all the time. And Maggie May by Rod Stewart. I just, I don't exactly know why, but those are, those would be kind of the songs of my life. Diane in Milwaukee. Diane, you're in WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi, Diane. Um, Unchained Melody. Okay. Okay. Passionately says it all and brings back a lot of memories. So so every time time you hear that, you just kind of stop and... And think oh, yeah. back. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> hey, thanks for going. That 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 sounds like a great story. Diane, sit down and have a have a glass of wine or something and hear that conversation. Um, okay, I, uh, let's see. 
Pat in Waukesha. Pat, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Jeff, awesome topic. Summerfest in Milwaukee. You can't beat it, baby. Yep. I'm not sure if it's the song of my life, but it's definitely uh, the song of Summerfest for me. Uh, play that funky music by Wild Cherry. <laughs> uh, there's going to be a band. You're not going to be able to see them, Jeff. I know you got to. I'm going to go fast. 6 p.m. Saturday, June 30th on the Brick Stage. Alter Ego. All right. Best, che- best saxophonist in the country, baby. Okay, check it out. No, I, I'm... I- I will not be there. I'm going to be up at uh, I'm going to be at Target Field seeing Buffett and the Eagles. But that doesn't mean you can't check out all sorts of great shows at Summerfest. Um, this has been fun. Um, let's see, Garth Brooks. I have some of our text here. Garth Brooks. I've got friends in low places. Um, huh. Uh, Patrick says the song of my life is Meatloaf, Paradise by the Dashboard Light. You dog there, Paradise. Um, if I Can Dream by the King Elvis Presley. we got a lot of great ones up there. Uh, let's see, Stairway to Heaven, um, another great song. Yeah, for me, like I say, it's a couple of the Buffett stuff, or maybe Rod Stewart's Man- uh, Maggie May. That's my ringtone. So if you ever hear Maggie May coming out of a phone, that's probably me standing behind you. All right, 254, we'll be back to find out what John, Melissa, and Scott Warris have on their minds. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner.